it's like trust your gut, but also like have those key people, those key voices in your life who like can help be your compass. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? It is back. Our 2022 Women of the Year issue is now out, featuring 25 incredible individuals from tech founders to social entrepreneurs. Leading this group this year is Canadian filmmaker, animator, and Academy Award winner Domi Shi, who earlier this year made history when she became the first woman to solo direct a Pixar feature film. When Turning Red debuted in early 2022, Canadians rejoiced. The animated film told the story of a young Chinese-Canadian tween girl torn between meeting the expectations of her immigrant parents and her experience navigating the changes that we must confront as we come of age. It was not only a love letter to Toronto, where Domi grew up, but also one to Asian North American communities and diaspora who continue to grapple with the realities of intergenerational and cultural trauma. It was also an ode to the often awkward, clunky, and imperfect experience of growing up, manifested through the eyes of the film's protagonist, Mei Lin, who just so happens to turn into a giant panda throughout the film. Presented by Bold by Veuve Clicquot, in this episode, I spoke with Domi about self-discovery, her early influences, representation, and why transformation remains such a strong theme in her work, career, and life. Enjoy. Hi, Domi. It's so wonderful to be chatting with you today. How's your day going? Great. I got my coffee. I woke up not too long ago. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat. I want to talk about a few different things today. Obviously, 2022 being a banner year for you and some of the larger themes that you have reflected in your work. But Mm -hmm. maybe we can just start off with, you know, some of our most nostalgic and cherished memories are of the movies that we saw growing up. What was the first movie you remember seeing in theaters? In theaters? uh, It was The Lion King. And I was, I think I was four or five years old. And I loved it, but I was so traumatized by Mufasa's death that I made my mom and I just like leave during the Hakuna Matata song because I was afraid more characters were going to die. So I never knew what happened at the end of the movie until I bought it on VHS a year later. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That was actually also my first uh, movie in theaters too. And um, one that was very formative in, in different ways. But, um, you know, cinema, as you obviously know, is in both ways a reflection of the times, but also a vision of what can be of possibility, good or bad, of fantasy and an imagination. So what was that movie for you? Like what was, you know, what was a movie that was largely influential during your formative years that had a part in shaping your worldview and perspective? 
Oh, definitely Spirited Away um, mm. by Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, I remember watching it for the first time uh, in high school and um, I had known about Miyazaki's movies before, but this was the first time that I like really like sat down and paid attention to one of his movies. And I just loved how real Chihiro felt as a, as a girl. I love how she had chubby cheeks and she was kind of dopey and uh, clumsy and she, and she didn't feel like a princess or a warrior. She just felt like a, just a regular girl in over her head in this fantasy world. But she like uh, she like gets stronger and 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 grows and learns uh, as she's like put through the ringer at the bathhouse and um, and yeah and 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 I was like oh man I didn't know movies could be like this that protagonists could reflect their audience and 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 real people versus just fantastical perfect you know heroes and and heroines. Uh, Right. Characters that had complexity and, and depth and, as you say, were not perfect and um, were interesting, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And that that she had to work really hard to achieve her goal in the movie, which was to you know save her parents and go home. Like she she wasn't naturally born with special gifts. She wasn't like a chosen one kind of character. She just like worked <laughs> really hard and uh and persevered and i thought that was really really inspiring and i related a lot to her story as well because mm. i you know i feel like most people aren't born with like the gift and they aren't like the chosen one so uh yeah i really uh connected with that with the message of of that movie yeah and, and that's definitely something that i've you know noticed the world has noticed with your body of work is the complexity and the layering of the characters. Um, obviously, 2022 has been a banner year for you with the debut of Turning Red. What did it mean to be the first woman to solo direct a Pixar feature film? Oh, man. Um, it's everything. It's uh, it's uh, intimidating, uh, but it's also exciting. And um, to be honest, like when it was happening like when I was directing Turning Red it didn't feel as big of a deal until I guess after we finished the movie and we started sharing it with the world because we're kind of like in our own little bubble at Pixar up in up in the Bay Area in Northern California and you know a lot of the creative leadership on our team was women and maybe because of the pandemic as well you know it felt like we were kind of separated from the you know the rest of the world so we were kind of our on our own little island um so everything felt normalized uh on that island but then once the world opened up again and we like we stepped out into the world we like shared the movie with the world and started talking to other people we realized like like i think that's when it hit us wow like this uh, this movie is is kind of a miracle <laughs> in that way there's like <laughs> so many firsts for this movie yeah in in the story itself in the themes that we tackle in the leadership and and the creative like vision behind it yeah it's it it, it feels pretty 
surreal. But then once you're in it, like once you're still making it, um, you don't really pay attention to that stuff. You're just focused on trying to address all the nodes and trying to like keep the machine running. <laughs> Right, right. I mean, you know, being the first woman to solo direct the, the feature film, it's a huge milestone, but also perhaps one that is uh, largely overdue, not just, you know, in the industry in general as well. What do you think is the most powerful way of making sure that women have a voice at the table and are in leadership and decision-making roles? Speaking from your experience, what was impactful for you? to get to that table? Yeah, I think um, for me, like it was just having allies and people in my corner early on in my career who were encouraging and who helped me find my voice as a, as a filmmaker. And not everybody has that, but then just being aware of, of that when you bring on, uh, you know, like new female hires, new POC minority hires that you're also it's not it's like you're not just tossing them into the deep end but that there's like a support system kind of structured around helping new voices kind of thrive and 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 shine and yeah and and for me you know I was lucky in that I uh the, the very first um feature film job I got was a story artist on Inside Out. Um, and uh, that movie, the themes of that movie, uh, working with Pete Doctor, I think those were, it's, it was just the perfect training ground for me, uh, you know, because like as a new story artist, I was not an expert at pretty much anything except I knew what it was like to be a tween girl going through roiling emotions so I kind of <laughs> leaned on that expertise on that uh on that show and and, and Pete was uh really responsive and, and open to hearing ideas from new hires from anybody so I think a lot of it too is the leadership just having that openness and and creating that space for people to voice their opinions and they don't have to take every single idea like just like having like like cultivating that that comfortable environment so people can speak up so maybe like a a good idea from an unusual place can pop up um so mm. yeah i think it comes yeah. from the top for sure well and and building on that you yourself assembled from what i read an all-woman senior leadership team for turning red why was that so important for you and what did it mean to do so and to work with that team? Yeah, I mean, for me, like I just wanted to make the best movie possible. Uh, like, like really hire people who I know could speak to the uh, experience and emotions of, of the protagonist uh, and, and her mom and that culture and also just what it's like to be a tween girl going through big changes and in, in her body and her life. And that just happened to mean that a lot of the creative leadership that we hired were women because, you know, a lot of them, a lot of us have gone through that. And that was very important uh, in 
helping tell the most authentic and cringiest uh, story. Um, <laughs> it, it, it just, it felt like the natural thing to do because the the idea itself, like the, the film itself, itself required leadership who knew what it was like to be a tween girl. So, I mean, throughout your body of work, transformation is a big theme in your work, quite literally in Turning Red. How has the notion of transformation manifested in your life and career? And in what ways have you transformed as an individual? Oh, man, I feel like uh, I'm transforming every day, every year, and I think every moment. Uh, yeah, I think... Um, change and transformation are, are, are such a big part of life. And I feel like you're not um, improving or growing unless you are, you know, transforming yourself in some way. And I, and I always want to keep learning. So I, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I feel like I, I, I've embraced transformation uh in all aspects of my life even down to my outfits every single day uh I like completely change styles but that might be more related to like I, I can't decide on on who I am <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis as well yeah so figuring it out it's all about figuring out who you are and it's an ongoing journey throughout your life um yeah. And I mean, you know, throughout your career, I guess, what have been some major milestones or, milestones or transformative experiences that have really influenced your worldview or the way that you approach your craft? Yeah. I mean, I'm always trying to identify areas that, you know, I'm, I'm weaker in that I, uh, that are my strengths and weaknesses. And I'm trying to like get better constantly like I remember early on like when I first started my career uh, as a story artist I hated pitching I hated talking in front of people um, and I'd rather let my drawings speak for themselves and and I just hated talking but I knew if I wanted to keep uh, growing um, as as a storyteller uh, and and a filmmaker I had to get better at this so I just made a decision to just throw myself into every single speaking opportunity that came my way. Like if I, every invitation I got to like talks and events and schools, uh, I, I, I said yes to pretty much all of those invitations. And, uh, and the, the biggest hurdle for me was when I went to a SIGGRAPH Bogota in Colombia. And I gave like a, I gave a keynote in front of 2000 people. Um, mm. And I had a little uh, like receiver in my ear with a translator that was translating everything that I was saying into Spanish. And uh, yeah, it, it, it was the most terrifying thing uh, ever. But then I knew if I could do this, like any speaking engagement, like any pitching 
meeting would be a piece of cake after this. Uh, and I did it and, and I'm still nervous when I pitch, but I've gotten much, much better. I think right. like, anytime I, I feel like a weakness, I kind of like just throw myself into the deep end and try to get better at it. <laughs> being me more comfortable with being uncomfortable, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and speaking of pitches, I read that Bao was created through uh, an internal internal pitch competition of sorts at Pixar, and that it's ending, which is certainly one of the the big moments throughout the short. Uh, was different when you pitched it. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So um, I was working on Bao with with two other ideas, and um, you know I was still young, so I was like getting feedback from you know all kinds of places and I was like you know doubting myself and then one of one note I got was like oh maybe this is too dark of an idea it wasn't even like you should change it it was more like I wonder if Pixar would go for an idea this dark and weird and that got into my <laughs> head and then I was like oh no I have to change this so then you know my tendency is to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, so I like blew up the ending and I like worked, you know, all night on like a new ending. Uh, and I, and that was a version I pitched to the, the panel, the brain trust. And, uh, that ending was so like when, when, uh, the little dumplings trying to leave the house and trying to leave his mom, um, she, you know, is, is pulling on him and she's like, please don't go, don't go. But then he does he like you know slaps her hand away and he like runs into the night he like runs away and she never <laughs> sees him again and then she's so sad so she like stays up all night and she makes a new batch of dumplings and she's like crying and then she like wakes up in the morning and they've all come to life and she has a she has a whole house full of little dumpling babies so you know it's it's, it's a happy ending but i don't know what the story meant because <laughs> the whole right. ending yeah it just completely changed but I you know like in a panic I was like oh like I I really want this to get chosen so I should try to predict what they would want to see in the ending uh and I didn't go with my gut but luckily when I pitched that altered version Pete Doctor was um on the brain trust and he was like hey that's not the version you pitched me a couple of weeks ago that ending was so creepy and weird and and awesome and uh, I didn't know how much he liked that ending uh and and he encouraged me to like go back and uh rework the pitch and then come back a week later and, and pitch it like pitch the original version of it which I did and then that ended up getting selected as as the next theatrical short so Trust your gut. That that was a lesson I learned. <laughs> yeah, I guess that that's kind of my next question is like since that moment and throughout your career, how have you learned to trust your intuition and your inner voice and just be, I guess, champion your own your own vision? Yeah, it's hard. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's just it's something that I just had to learn through trial and error. Because a lot of the times too, like you do have to let go of, of, of certain things of like, there were so many amazing gags and ideas and scenes in turning red that, that, you know, was super painful to, to cut out of the movie, but 
but but they didn't service the the bigger picture. And um, I think just it's like trust your gut, but also like have those key people, those key voices in your life who like can help be your compass. And yeah, like if, if it's just you and like everybody around you, every you know every peer colleague and person that you respect is saying no don't do this and you're the only one being like no this is the hill I want to die on then, then <laughs> yeah I don't know I don't know if that's a moment to trust your gut or like you know sit down and really like listen to those voices but if there, if you know if the majority of voices are like saying one thing but then there's those people that you know have your back who are on your side who like know what you're trying to do and who know your aesthetic and your taste and they like they get you and you get them and they're saying something different or like they're saying like no like trust your gut then I feel like that's that's a moment where you trust your gut I think yeah yeah it's it's a balance yeah it's a balance it's a balance yeah um your work deals with a lot of also intergenerational cultural differences and trauma, the things that we inherit from the generation before us and the things that we pass down to the generation after us. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an interview actually previously with Simu Lu who talked about the difference between the quote unquote Asian lived experience and the Asian North American lived experience. Why is it so important to understand, illustrate and champion those differences and nuances as a storyteller, but also as, you know, a person in a position of influence and, and as a storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Asian immigrant experience, like the immigrant experience uh, is so different than um, if you, you know, the experience of someone who grows up in a society and a culture that, you know, looks like them, like there's, you know, going to be issues for everyone growing up, but I think for immigrant kids, um, it's very unique and specific in that they're kind of caught between two worlds and two cultures. And yeah, and and not a lot of stories uh, talk about that. And now that, you know, we're living in a, in a smaller and smaller world, immigration is, is more prevalent and, and common than, than ever. And I think a lot of kids are going to be dealing with like culture shock and like having to choose between staying true to their parents and their you know their family's culture and embracing the new world and the new um country that they've moved into and and it's not a black and white this is the right answer and this is the wrong answer kind of an issue either it's Mm -hmm. it's so nuanced and different for every person so the more stories that we can tell that talk about all of these nuances and ways that different immigrant kids and adults kind of deal with these issues I think the better and and I think it'll just help a lot of people kind of process what they're going through I wish I had that you know growing up yeah. uh, I wish I had a movie like like Turning Red or even like Shang-Chi that had a protagonist that was kind of dealing with the same stuff as, as me. Um, but I kind of had to figure it out or not, and then like grow up and then make a movie of, of processing it. And then, <laughs> and then you created it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
what are some of the themes that you'd like to explore in your work moving forward? Oh, so many. I want to do everything, <laughs> but you can't put everything in the in a movie. Yeah, I think I still, uh, I would still love to include or incorporate a- Asian culture in some way in every uh, project that I do. I, I guess I can't help it either because I, you know, it's just who I am. It's like when you watch a Scorsese movie, he can't help but put himself in his movies as well. Uh, definitely food and <laughs> any opportunity yes. I get, I'm just gonna like try to put as much food porn in there as possible. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and, you know, I love working with Pixar. I'm gonna, you know, continuing to explore universal truths uh, with a culturally specific paintbrush. Um, mm. I mean, food is also, yeah, a constant in in your work as well. Why do you think that that's such a powerful medium to talk about larger themes and symbols through breaking bread and gathering at the table or not gathering at the table too. Yeah. Uh, food is such a important ritual and element in so many cultures around the world, especially in Asian culture, especially, you know, in my household growing up, um, and, and, and my parents showing their love through cooking huge elaborate meals for me. And then asking why I'm fat. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and and it's such a visual, like like a like a visually stimulating um, tool that you can use in film, uh, and it looks really good. It looks like delicious, and it can ev- evoke um, like an instant reaction out of out of audience members when they when they see it. Yeah. yeah, even the sounds that you you hear, the slurping of a noodle or like the bubbling of a soup or something. Yeah, it, it like really helps like set the time and place. And yeah, food is is awesome. And 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 I feel like like not a lot of Western movies use food in in that way, but you see it a lot in in, in Miyazaki movies and in East Asian movies foreign movies I, I feel like f- food is more of a yeah it's more of a ritual and, and, and a gathering in, in other cultures um, and I want to celebrate that and use that on on the screen you know yeah yeah um two questions left what kind of power and influence do you think an animated movie has over a live action one what's so unique and special about uh, an animated movie versus the others? I feel like animated movies uh, have the potential to reach everybody, not just adults and not just kids. And also the fact that they're able to reach kids, I think is is something that's really powerful. And it's um, it's, it's a powerful like weapon, it's a, or it's a powerful tool. It's a powerful medium that we can use to instill good values in, in the next generation because they are being raised by animated films and I feel like animation is also such a powerful tool to explore dark themes but kind of in 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 an abstract and entertaining and colorful way that kind of creeps up on you um 
yeah, I just feel like in animation, it's great. It's like this powerful Trojan horse that you can kind of use to put important ideas and, and themes that you want to share with the world. Um, and just like- Yeah, especially at like, you know, telling abstract concepts in a way, mm -hmm. in a way that you wouldn't be able to otherwise, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like like emotions, like death, like intergenerational trauma. A lot of the stuff that you don't really want to watch in a live action movie because maybe it's too real or it's too unpleasant. Mm. Uh, animation uh, is is a great uh, way to kind of deliver that in 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 a softer and and more understandable uh, way. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last question, you know, we, we explore a lot of themes around mission and purpose um, at the media outlet that I'm with. What is ultimately your mission at the end of the day that you want to really reflect through your work, but also just as an individual, what's the bigger picture for you? Oh man, that's a big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess, I guess I'm still trying to find that through making movies and trying to find what my bigger mission is. But I think for me, I just want to, I just want to keep telling stories that are meaningful to me in, in a surprising uh, way that no one's ever seen before. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what my greater It's a journey is. of discovery. Yeah, it's, it's. Yeah. It's to discover that <laughs> my mission yeah. is to discover what my mission is. Uh, <laughs> I love through, that. I love through that. working. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been wonderful getting to know you and getting your insight. And I really appreciate it. Um, and, and thank you so much for everything that you do through your work. Thanks, Lance. Yeah, it's great chatting with you. Everyone wants to see themselves reflected in art and culture. But capturing the specific nuances of experiences is a true art form. One that, if done properly, can evoke feelings of empathy. This is why stories of transformation are so timeless. Much like Domi's protagonists, we all face challenges that present the opportunity to grow and evolve. Whether through the eyes of an immigrant mother or a teenager coming of age who just so happens to turn into a giant red panda, the common thread between her characters remains the same. We are all on our own journeys of transformation and change. The path to self-discovery is rarely a smooth one. Rather, it's a clumsy, stumbling, and uncomfortable experience that is defined not by the end result, but by the decisions made along the way. It's a reflection of Domi's own experiences in the stories that she's putting out into the world. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?